All right, so here we go. The future of the kingdom readiness. I have to give some explanations before I even start today. So first, we are going through the five sermons that Jesus gave in the book of Matthew. This is the fifth sermon. It is found in Matthew 24 and 25, and we've called it the future of the kingdom. Last week, we did part one. It was on overcoming. This is part installment two called readiness. And the whole thing was supposed to be this morning, except during the first service, I, I just changed it. So this is readiness, future of the kingdom readiness, part one. July 22nd, I'm going to do part two in the morning, and I'm going to do um, part four of the whole series that night. So you're going to have to come twice on the 22nd to get the whole thing about the future of the kingdom. Um, I'm sorry about that, but that is just how it happened, so... So there's two things that Christians agree on concerning the future of the kingdom. One, that history is truly his story, that this is all going somewhere, that all of history is going to culminate in the return of Jesus. Jesus is coming, and he's going to change the order. This current world, we call it the end times, but it's really also the beginning of a new time. But Jesus is coming again, and Christians of all different brands and types all believe Jesus is coming again, to to bring a fulfillment of the kingdom of God to this earth. Second thing that Christians agree on is that the main thing about the end times and teaching about the end times, this is why I welcome all different positions and all different preaching on the end times. Preaching about the end times, it's not about being right, it's more about being ready. And so getting exactly when and how and what are the signs and this and that. And uh, frankly, if you find 10 Christians that love God, love the Bible, and love the end times, you're going to get 10 different positions. And I certainly have a position, and my position will come out, but it's really important that we don't end up majoring on the minors and end up dividing over trivial things because the big picture we unite on, and that is Jesus is coming again, and we need to be ready. So having said all of that, could we stand in honor of God's word? If you have a Bible with you, turn to Matthew 24, or you can follow on the screen here. We're going to start in verse 29. Here we go. Future of the kingdom. This is when the text appears. Here here it is. Okay. Okay. Immediate, this is Jesus speaking. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender 
and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near. Uh, The NAS says he is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would, not, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak directly to each heart. Lord, I pray that no one would leave this room today without being ready for your coming. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we're gonna give you glory for every good thing that happens here today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The future of the kingdom readiness. Point one is the next prophetic event. So our text today, Jesus says, immediately after the distress of these days. Last week, we talked about that distress. Jesus had said there is a time coming in this generation where the Jewish people are going to be judged. The, the temple is going to be destroyed. The Jewish uh, city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. This is in judgment of rejecting the Christ. He said, it's going to happen in your generation. He said, here are all the signs. You need to pay attention to these signs because this is going to happen in your generation. You are going to have to do something. The way you're going to be rescued in this time of judgment on the city of Jerusalem, you are going to have to physically leave the city. You're going to have to leave Judah. When you see the abomination of desolation, when you see that Roman army that worships under the ensign surrounding Jerusalem, it's time to get out. It is not a time of deliverance. It is a time of judgment and you need to flee and we talked all about that last week all of that happened exactly as Jesus said that it would and then he says these words immediately after the distress of those days and then he describes his second coming He describes the heavens splitting and shaking and the sun going dark and the moon and the skies falling and he appears and and he gathers the elect. And some people feel like 
well, that didn't happen. Jesus didn't come back. So how can that, is that a, is that a false prophecy? Guys, it appears, it appears from the text like Jesus knows when he's coming. It, it appears when he says immediately, because it's immediately, that's when it's going to happen. Immediately after these things happen, I will come back. But if you look very closely, that's not actually what he means. First, he says, in this generation, my coming will be right at the door. Before this generation dies, my coming will be right at the door. First, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. There's going to be judgment on Israel, judgment on Judea that you're going to need to flee. And after that distress, my coming will be right at the door. It is the next prophetic event. Immediately after this, nothing else has to be fulfilled. The next thing that happens is my coming will be right at the door. He does not claim to know when he's coming. He expressly says, no one knows the day or the hour, including me. So he's not saying when he's coming. He is saying he's going to be at the door immediately after the distress My coming will be imminent. It is the next prophetic thing that's going to happen. And so the early church had to be ready for his coming. And the second century church had to be ready. And the third century, and fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. And here we are in the 21st century. Well, where's his coming? It's imminent. Could happen any time. In Matthew 24, he describes two rescue and judgment events. The first one is the judgment of the Jewish people and the rescue, of course. They need to look at the signs because they need to know when to flee. The second rescue and judgment event that he describes is very different than the first. First, there is no way to get ready for it by looking at signs. There will be no signs. It'll come when you don't think. The way you're ready for the second one is you've got to, you've got to be ready. The second judgment event is not Israel. It's worldwide. It's, it's on the whole world for rejecting Christ. It will be like Noah's flood. It will, it will cover the entire world. And you Christians need to live ready. And, beca- and here's why. There's going to be no signs, and it's go- the rescue is going to happen before the judgment. Let me read to you Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants inhabitants of the earth. There is an hour of trial. There is an hour of judgment. And believers, God's plan is, will be kept from that hour. Not in it, from it. It is the next event coming. And you and I need to be ready. We need to live ready. The job of Christians is not figuring out the signs. The job of Christians is to make sure that you're living ready every single day. Here's why. He's coming when you don't think he will. 
To explain this, Jesus goes into four illustrations of people not being ready. The first two are people that don't believe that there even is a second coming. And he says, first, it's going to be like the days of Noah. And by the time Noah is on the ark, which is a picture of the rapture of the church, by the time the flood of judgment comes, he says, it's too late. They didn't understand what was happening until it was too late. This is absolutely tragic. They didn't understand that that there even was a purpose. They're just eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Uh, Luke's gospel says planting, sowing, uh, reaping, uh, buying, selling. They're just living as if there is no God, as if Jesus isn't coming back, as if there is no accountability. They are just leaving in survival. And they don't understand until it's too late. Tragic. They didn't believe In the days of Noah, Noah preached for a long, long time, but they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. Second illustration he gives is the thief in the night. And and, and, and the, and the, the head of the house, he didn't believe a thief was coming. And by the time he believed, because of all that was stolen, it was too late. If... He knew the thief was coming. He would have got ready. He would have been ready. His house wouldn't have been broken into. And it was too late. The thief was already there. And then he's like, oh my, a thief came. It's too late to get ready. Two groups that don't even believe in the second coming. And then he gives two groups that do believe in the second coming, but aren't ready. These, we need to pay very close attention to these two because Believers, Christians, believe Jesus is coming. So we we fall into the second group. Here's the first. It's the story of a master that leaves his servant in charge of his household. And he says, I'm going to come again. And, but the servant... Jesus says if, if, he does, if, he, if he feeds the other servants and he, and he does what he's supposed to be, he's going to be very blessed when the master comes back. But, but if he says in his heart, my master is a long time in coming. I've got plenty of time. And I'll get ready later. I'll, I'll do this later. I, I want to I wanna have fun right now. I want to take advantage of my position. And so he, because his master is a long time coming, and I don't think, uh, he starts beating the other servants. He starts manipulating them and using them for his own personal needs. He starts getting drunk and living a life that is very self-indulgent. He thought his master was coming later. And he's going to come, Jesus said, he's going to come earlier than you think he is. And then that servant was cast into a place with the unbelieving because he wasn't ready. And then you get just the opposite in the next story. It's a Jewish wedding. And very unfamiliar to us, but there's these bridesmaids and this wedding party. And the way it works is, is the, 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 the groom's party will come at night. And, and the bride's party is to come out into the street with their oil lamps. And everybody that's got a lit lamp is going to be picked up and take back to the wedding feast. And, and Jesus says, this is, this is, it's going to be like 
uh, the ten bridesmaids, and five of them were foolish. And here's why they were foolish. (laughs) They were sure his coming was going to be really soon, so they didn't need any extra oil. They didn't bother to bring any extra oil. They didn't bother to, fr- bother to freshen their oil. They were sure that they got enough at the beginning and his coming would be so soon that they would be ready and they didn't need to put any extra work into it. And they weren't ready. Why does Jesus give four straight illustrations of people that are not ready? Here's why. He wants you ready. He wants me ready. He wants to give us Forewarning. He wants us to know how it's going to be so that our hearts are ready for his coming. What does it actually look like on earth? He spends all of Matthew 25, the whole second half of the sermon is about what it looks like to be ready. It's walking with Jesus is the first story. The second one is about working with Jesus, the story of the talents. The third one is about loving with Jesus, talking about how to love on the least of these. And um, we're only going to do walking with Jesus today. And we're going to do the other two um, on the morning of the 22nd. So here we go. Point two, last point. Isn't this going fast? Last point, living ready, walking with Jesus. Here we go, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. Oh, here we go. Who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Here's the first thought. The foolish virgins say to the wise, give us some of your oil. We don't have enough oil. All the way through Scripture, an oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills up. He's, he's the oil that keeps our lamp burning. We are pictured in Revelation 1. The church is candlesticks that are to be lit with God. And the Holy Spirit is the oil that has to keep our lamps going. And so we are the lamp and, and we're supposed to keep this oil fresh, this Holy Spirit Fresh. And the foolish say to the wise, give us some of your oil. And they explain to them this. It doesn't work that way. You can't give me your relationship with God. And I can't give you my relationship with God. It doesn't work that way. Everybody has to go to the dealer himself. 
Everybody has to have their own relationship with God. It doesn't matter that your mom and dad are good Christians or that your brother or your sister, you got a friend that's a Christian or grandma is a Christian and really strong and, and, and you got to have your own. You, you got, you've got to go in yourself. You've got to enter into this thing yourself. I understand there is a corporate element to Christianity that we're not that good at. Americans are not that good at the corporate thing. God does. He sees us as a body, and we'll talk about that more next time. And we need to work together, and, and, and he wants a people working together. But there is a personal part of this thing. We call it a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Everybody has to have their own relationship, their own encounter. You can't borrow it from somebody else. A second thought here is about this oil that you need to buy. That just goes right against the grain of the gospel, doesn't it? We don't buy the oil of intimacy. Everything God gives is free. God, that's what grace means. God gives freely based on his generosity, not based on how good we are. Intimacy with God, trust me on this, is God's gift to the human race. If you picture your quiet time as a place where you're going to earn intimacy, if I read enough and if I pray enough and if I fast enough, I will be intimate with God and you're trying to earn that intimacy, let me tell you something. Your reading and praying will actually make you feel farther from God. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get intimate with God. That's not how it works. Intimacy is a gift. It's given to us in Jesus Christ. And what we do in our quiet time and when we come to church is we are unwrapping a gift that's already been given called intimacy with God. This is who God is. It's all by his grace. Well, then why buy? Why does it say buy? Why does it say that you have to go buy some for yourself? Did you know that there's still a price? I want you to picture the idea of a gas station that's giving away free gas. Pastor Tom, I've never heard of anybody giving away free gas. Well, (coughs) my sister's first serious boyfriend came from New York City. He had never been in a small town. We're from Milton, Wisconsin. So she brings him home. It is a small town. He is stunned and amazed by everything that's happening in this small town. He just can't believe that this exists, that something like this exists. He says, she says this to him, do you know how small this town is? We have free gas here. And he's like, no, no, I, no, you're not going to draw me in on that. There's no such thing as free gas. She said, watch. It's the middle of winter. She pulls into Murphy's gas station where we have a family account. <laughs> all the Flaherty's look identical. We've all got the same nose. We've all got freckles. We're all, they know the Flaherty's. They know the Flaherty's in Milton. She pulls up. She pulls up. And, and back then, it wasn't self-serve. They always served you. And so she pulls up, and the guy comes to the window. She doesn't even put her window down. She just waves. He fills up the gas tank. And then he taps twice on the, the, the back, we're done. And she drives off, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, I can't believe this exists. <laughs> oh. 
So they put up a sign next week, the, the quick trip down here, free gas. Well, it's not completely free. Here's why. To get that free gas, you're going to have to go, you're going to have to wait in line. It's free, but, but there's a, everybody wants it. You're, you're waiting in line. You, that, that, how many know that's a price? How many know some people would rather not wait? I'll, I'll pay for it and go somewhere else than wait in line. It, it, there's always a price to get gas, the price of waiting for that thing to fill up. You, you put it, you're on empty, you, you fill it up, and there you are, you're waiting. And you know how impatient Americans are? You know what? I'm just going to put $10 in. I, I need to go. I need to get to the next thing. I need it. It's a price. Got to wait. The oil of intimacy is free. Absolutely free. But you have to position yourself to wait for God. I'll, I'll tell you what, right now, I commend you today for being in church today. There's, there's free oil in here. There's the oil of intimacy is in here today. You just need to receive. You just need to allow God to fill the... How many know you can come to church and still not receive? (laughs) You could still be in full tilt and just waiting to get out. Please, that's just a bad habit. Stop it. (laughs) Enjoy God. Enjoy his presence. Let the intimacy of God fill you up and get you ready. I want to read to you about the manna. Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way to, in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The manna taught them about how God's word works. The manna, they had to go out every single morning and pick up the manna. And you know what? You couldn't pick up for somebody else. You, you, everybody had to go out and get their own manna. And here's the other thing. You couldn't store it up. You couldn't store up, I'm going to get for two days right now because I don't think I'm going to have a chance tomorrow. I'm going to get for two days right now. No, it's spoiled. You had to get it every single day. So they would go out in the early morning and the Bible says that that manna was light and sweet. And this is a picture of God's people in relationship with God. This is a picture that God, God saves us, guys. Not through an event. People think, I got saved when I prayed the sinner's prayer. No, you don't get saved through a prayer. Well, I got saved when I got baptized or when I got confirmed. No, you don't get saved by an event. The Savior is not a prayer and it's not an event. The Savior is a person named Jesus. Now, you might have begun your relationship with a prayer. You might have, there might be a beginning point, but... The way we're saved is through Jesus himself is the way to God. And this is about an ongoing relationship with him. This is eternal life, John 17, 3, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. The word know there is genosko. It means intimacy. 
It is the word for intimacy. It is ongoing. The foolish virgins presumed that I just, all I need to do is pray the prayer, do the formula, and I'm good to go. And Jesus said, no, no, no. No, this is about a relationship that is ongoing. So I want to talk to you just a little about arranging your life to get the, the, the free oil of intimacy. The three words I use for it are desire, discipline, and delight. Desire is very important. It starts by desiring to meet with God, desiring to have more, desiring to, to, to have more of his presence, more of his oil, less of me, more of him. God, I, I desire to meet with you. I desire to encounter you. I, de- I desire that, my, man, I am, I'm hungry for it. And, and of course, that's what church can do. Church can make you very hungry. I want that. I want to have that. It starts with desire. But desire to meet with God is not gonna lead you to meeting with God every day. <laughs> You're actually going to have to move from desire to discipline. You're actually going to have to have a plan, a real plan of when I'm going to meet God, where I'm going to meet God, where I'm going to read in the Bible. There actually has to be a tangible, physical plan of how this is going to happen. Somebody taught me this early. And so I got into this thing where I I meet with God every day, early in the morning, first thing. I, I've got a, a chair downstairs. It's an easy chair. I'll get, I get my, my first cup of coffee, and I, I get excited. I get down there. I got my little light on. I pull the easy chair back, and, and I, I start with the one-year Bible. I know where I'm going to read every day. Today, I read July 8th. Little Old Testament, little New Testament, little Psalm, little Proverb. I, I read the Word of God. Then I've got some devotional books to help. I've got my utmost for his highest. I've got streams in the desert. I've got this other one called Friendship with God by Bill Johnson that I'm reading right now, and I, I will read them. And I do all my reading first, and then, I, then I, I put it down, and I go up. I get my second cup of coffee under the Keurig, use the bathroom. That might be too much information. Um, if, you're gonna, if you drink coffee, you're going to have to use the bathroom. Just get over it. Um, then I'll get my second cup, and then I come down, and then it's time to journal. And I, I open my journal up, and I will write. I'll just put the date, today's date, and then I'll, I'll reflect on what happened yesterday. If I had a number of meetings where people need prayer, I will write out prayers for people. I know I'm meeting with people today, so I'll write down prayers for the meetings coming up. And, and, and if, if God gave me something from the Word, I'll write it out, and it's, it's just for me, and so I can write as much or as little as I want. And at some point, I, turn, I shut that up, turn the light off, and, and then I go on a prayer walk every, every morning. Sometimes it's dark when I'm walking around, but I use my prayer language, and I lift up these things, and it's, it's, it's light. The manna was light and sweet. This is not the meat of the word. This is not studying the word and getting into the Greek. This is just, this is just every day spending some time with God. Now, it's not enough to have a plan. Because you're going to find out that this is a post. And you did it for two days, and then you stopped doing it, and did it for a week, maybe even did it for 20 days, and then you didn't do it, and you missed, and you get discouraged, you get disappointed, and maybe other people can have a quiet time, but I can't. So you give up. 
And I'm encouraging you today to ask God to forgive you, to take the desire and make a new plan. Because discipline alone will not get you there. You have to move from discipline to delight. While you do your discipline, pray, God, help me to enjoy this. Help me change my taste buds so that I enjoy it. A lot of our taste buds have been wasted on junk food. TV, movies, the worldly stuff, secular stuff, the evening news. We could just get so... Did you know you could change your physical taste buds? You used to like vitamin D milk, now you like skim milk. You used to like just junk, now your your actual taste buds are trained. Pray that you will delight. Discipline will never hold you. Once you get to delight... It's amazing what happens when you get to delight. You no longer see discipline. It's just the highlight of of my day. When I'm traveling, the highlight of my travel is my time with God in the morning. When I'm I'm on, we're on a family reunion next week. My highlight will be my early time in the morning. I love people. I'll have fun during the day, but there's nothing like Meeting with God. He loves us, guys. He's crazy about us. There's nothing like just being with him. Being in his presence. Experiencing the lightness and the sweetness. Walking with Jesus is not difficult. It really isn't. There's a few things you need to do, but you do need to do those few things. So I'm just encouraging you. Build this into your life. All right. Has anybody ever heard of bait and switch? You bait them with one thing, and then while you're there, they switch it to something else. I woke up this morning, and I knew there's a bait and switch going on today. There's somebody here today. The reason why you're here is you're having marriage problems. And I don't know if you are coming because you want to get help with your marriage or if your spouse demanded that you come as a penalty for how bad you've been in the marriage. But you're here and it's because something to do with your marriage. You are here today and it's because of your bad marriage, failed marriage, unhappy marriage. Here's the switch. You don't actually have a marriage problem. You actually have a Jesus problem. Let me tell you a little of my story. 1984, Alice and I got married. We had two children right away. It's two years into the marriage. We are both on fire Christians, love Jesus with all our heart. We're coming to this church at the time. And our marriage is failing. And we had everything going for us. Her, her parents are together. My parents were together. Uh, we Solid families. Almost the same education. We both had our undergrad from the UW. Everything in the natural should work. This marriage should work. And then we're Christians on top of it. But our marriage was not working. It was so hard. Alice had become very angry and very, very bitter toward me, and I, I had this sense of entitlement that I had fun when I was single, and so this should be fun, and so 
uh, I just didn't really take responsibility and I just felt like this should be fun and I noticed that whenever I was home, I, I wasn't having fun anymore because Alice wasn't having any fun and, and it was like being with a cactus and so I wanted, and, and man, never, ever, ever, ever say that to your wife. Um, I won't say that in the, se- the tonight's service, Alice will be here, so I won't say it tonight. Um, <laughs> But I, 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 it, she was so prickly that I didn't want to be there, and I, and I just kind of had this thing. And, but we both knew this is not working. And we're sure that the other person was the problem and, and that this is our marriage problem. And we, we prayed. I'll never forget this. At the two-year point, we prayed that Jesus would come and save our marriage. Well, it turned out that the way Jesus saves a marriage is he changes you. He gives you more of that fresh oil. A lot of times what happens is the version of ourselves that we have accepted as being us is not the best version of ourselves. And that God calls us higher. And, and so as my wife got closer to Jesus, she, she dealt with her anger and her bitterness and forgave. And, and it, just, it just became easier. And at the same time, I'm dealing with this entitlement. And why is this so hard? And Jesus invited me to the cross and lay down my rights. And, and all of a sudden, something changed in our marriage. Marriage. Here's why Jesus is always the answer. Marriage is not about you getting happiness. There's not happiness in marriage. There's happy, happiness in Jesus. His plan for marriage is that you would actually bring something to the marriage, not get something out of it. And I'll tell you what, once you change that perspective, it's amazing how wonderful marriage can be. When you stop trying to suck something out of it that God never intended to be in it, and you, you, you look for your happiness and your joy in Jesus, and then you give freely to your spouse, all of a sudden, it becomes this wonderful thing. Now we have been married 34 years. I love being married. I, I love what God has done. Uh, but this, this is how it happened. And so people come in for, to me for marriage counseling all the time. And I know where it's going. It's bait and switch. They think it's going to be about their marriage. And here's how you communicate and here's how you do that. And there are a few things you can learn about relating to each other. But I really need them each separately. Here's, here's what you and Jesus need to do. And if you do that, your partner's not going to look that bad. Not going to look as bad as he looks right now or she looks right now. And you need to work on this. And it turns out you can't work on each other. You've got to work on yourself. And then you trust God with the other one. And then all of a sudden, all of that stress comes out. And it's easier to be happy, happily married. Fresh in the oil of your own relationship with God. All of the virgins, all of the bridesmaids had fallen asleep. The great need of the church is to stay awake. Here's 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 6. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness 
So that this day, he's talking about the coming of the Lord, that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Paul is saying, we know, as far as days and times, we know. The Lord told us, this is coming like a thief in the night. You're not going ha- to know days and times. The reason why we're ready is not because we figured out the signs. The reason why we're ready is because we're living in the light. We're not going to sleep. We're awake spiritually. This is the great challenge of Christianity. One of our prophetic women at the, at the uh, beginning of the year, God, she was in the sanctuary back there, and God spoke to her. And here's what, here's what God said. Casual leads to casualties. Casual leads to casualties. Now, if you've been around here for any length of time, you know we're all about casual. We're all about casual dress. Everybody gets to come just as they are. You bring your coffee into the sanctuary, your donut. It's all, it's all about casual here. We want people to come as they are and not have to perform or pretend in front of us. We want, we want that. But when we are casual in our relationship with God... When we treat sin flippantly, no big deal. When we are willing to watch anything and go anywhere and just and have no carefulness at all to our life and, and we've got people sleeping spiritually all around us and when we just don't see that as a danger and, and we, we just, we will get lulled to sleep by the enemy. And what happens when we're asleep spiritually not only are we at risk of being a, a casualty, I, don't, I want to be ready for Jesus' coming. I don't want to be a casualty. I don't want to be in the group that he says, the door's shut. I don't want to be a casualty. But I also don't, don't want to create other people as casualties. See, we are all sowing seeds, whether you like it or not, to everybody around us. They see our life, and that's how, where they learn from. And when we're spiritually asleep, especially as a Christian, then they, they just imitate that and they're like, well, if they're okay, I'm certainly okay because they're not, care- they're not careful, so why do I need to be careful? And we end up killing people around us. No, the opposite is also true. When we're awake, when we are spiritually awake, when there is a fire burning and we're tending that fire and we're, we're, we're keeping that oil fresh, oh my, you just, you don't even have to speak to people. You just rub off on them and God wakes people up around you just by your life, just by how you are living your life, just by the way you speak, just by what you watch and won't watch. God wakes people up. This is how the Holy Spirit works. Is there any more terrifying scene in any movie than when Dorothy and the scarecrow and the lion and the tin man and Toto are there, they break in, they've been following the yellow brick road through all kinds of places, through the woods, through the jungle, and they come out and there is the emerald city before them. 
And then this, I was a kid. I can't believe parents let, let me watch this. <laughs> the wicked witch with her ball, and she's laughing horribly, and she says, Poppies, poppies. And she, pu- she, she puts a spell on the flower, and they all fall asleep right before they get to the Emerald City. And they're going to die there. Except that the rain comes and breaks the spell and wakes them all up and they make it. We don't realize how powerful the Holy Spirit is. He who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. The enemy doesn't want a face-to-face with you because of the Spirit of God in you. The the enemy started with a face-to-face with Samson and tried to get Samson, and Samson just boom, 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 no problem. And the the Philistines came back to Delilah and said, listen, we can't do a direct hit on him. The anointing on him is too powerful. You you need to to uncover the secret of his strength because we can't deal with that. So what did she do? Put him to sleep. Once he's asleep... She cuts off the consecration of his life to God. And then Samson wakes up. The Philistines are on you. And he thinks he's still powerful. He thinks the anointing. And God has left him. And he is the food for the enemy. Ends up spending his life blind and going around in a circle. We live in a culture that's sleeping, guys. It's just like the days of Noah. People eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, uh, sowing, reaping, planting, harvesting, buying, selling, as if there is no God. And the more busy this gets, the less attention goes to God. And pretty soon, we've got a whole race of people just living to survive. It's time to wake up. Church has to wake up first. You can't expect the world to wake up if the church doesn't wake up. It's time to wake up. There's nothing wrong with planting and reaping and and eating and drinking and marrying and giving marriage because that's not the main event. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back for a bride that is ready. It says in Revelation 19, it was given to the bride to make herself ready. Doesn't that seem like a contradiction? It was given for free. It was given to her to make herself ready. There's two sides to this coin. We need to grab a hold of this relationship. Here's what Jesus says. This is how we're closing, and the worship team can come. Luke 12:35. He says this: be dressed in readiness. And keep your lamps lit. All right. Could we bow our heads for a moment? There's two groups of people that I want to pray for. (coughs) The first group is this. You are here today and you're not sure 
that you have a relationship with God. You're not sure that you even have a lamp. You're not sure that the Holy Spirit is in you. Maybe, maybe you have prayed a prayer. Maybe you have done an event like baptism or confirmation, but you have no assurance that Jesus is your Savior. Maybe you've been around Christians. You've been around a, a Christian home or grandparents or a, a, around a Christian culture, but guys, that's not good enough. Jesus says these words, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, singular, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him, which is the word for relationship. Jesus knocks, but it's not enough that he knocks. He knocks through sin you can't conquer. He knocks through a marriage that's failing. He knocks through beauty. He knocks in a thousand ways. He knocks, but Jesus knocking and you opening are two different things. Each one must own their own faith. Each one must come to the dealer and say, I need what only you can give me. And he says, if you hear my voice and respond to it by opening your door, I will come in. So I've got every head bowed and every eye closed because this isn't about your friend or your grandma or your mom or what somebody else expects you to do or thinks you, this is about you. It's about you and Jesus. The reason why I have people raise their hands is I like to help people open their door because somebody helped me. So if that's you, Jesus is knocking. Today, you need to open the door. Would you just lift your hand up real high long enough for me to see it? I see that hand and that hand. God bless you and that hand. That hand over here. God bless you. This hand up front. God bless you. I see that hand in back. Thanks, bro. Yep, and then that group, you can, I see the one way back in the balcony and one at the front of the balcony. I see this one at the front and this one over in the middle of the balcony. All those hands, thank you. You can put those down. Anybody else? Jesus is knocking. Lord, would you knock a little harder right now? It, it starts not with us. Oh, gotcha, bro. Bless you. Thank you. You can put that one down. I got you in the back there. Knock a little harder, Jesus. Knock a little harder, Jesus. He wants you ready, man. He wants you ready. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray in just a moment. I'd like everybody that raised their hand to go ahead and put your hand on your heart right now. Pray something like this in your own words. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross for me. Thank you for being so persistent to knock on my life. God, I don't, I don't want to survive. I, I want to live. I give you everything. I give you my sins. I give you my mistakes. I give you everything. Jesus, come into my heart. I want this gift of intimacy that I will unwrap with you the rest of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Could we all stand to our feet? So here's the second call. You are a Christian. You, you've got a lamp. You started this journey. You've had experiences where you know and there's an assurance that you and God, that you are on the right path. <clears throat> but today... You know this, you need fresh oil. 
To get fresh oil, the first thing you got to do is you got to trim the wick. The wick is what burned yesterday. The, bur- the wick is the ashes of what burned yesterday. And a lot of times what happens when you don't trim the wick is you end up living in yesterday. Yesterday's regret. Yesterday's sin. Yesterday's success. Yesterday's spiritual experience. And it's all about yesterday and what happened yesterday. Guys, we have to trim the wick of the good and the bad. You are not your past. Listen, listen to the words of Isaiah. Jesus, this is spoken about Jesus. That Jesus is the anointed one and he is anointed to give us beauty for ashes. The way this works is we give Jesus the ashes of our past. We trim that wick. We say these ashes of of my sin, my failure, my success, everything. I offer them to you. My identity is not my past. My identity is you, Jesus. Now give me fresh oil. Give me fresh oil. And you're here today and you just want fresh oil, would you just open your arms in the receive position? I just want to pray for you. Lord, I know there was somebody here today that you did a bait and switch and they, th- they came in here thinking it's all about their bad marriage, all about their failed marriage, all about their upset wife or husband and, and God, you, you, you want to meet them today. You spoke to me this morning. I want to, I am your answer. I am your marriage counselor by counseling you to become a better version of you. You filled with my spirit. I have joy for you. Let me fill you this morning. So here's how we're ending today. There's not going to be any ministry teams. We're going to open up the altar. I want to encourage you to allow God to fill you, to wait on God. We're at about, we got about seven minutes till 1230. Because I, I understand kids and all that. And, but let God fill you. I like to come to the altar. If you want to step out and come to the altar, that's great. If you want to sit where you are or kneel where you are or or just stand where you are. What I do ask is that we would say fellowship for out in the foyer and just make this a place of waiting on God. Father, I'm praying for every single soul that's here, including my own. Lord, fill us up again with your beauty, with your goodness, with your power. Lord, wherever we've fallen asleep, wake us up. Wake us up. We repent. We don't want to be asleep. And then, God, we want to go out and be so filled that just wherever we go, people are just waking up all around us because they see, oh my, there must be something different because that person is different and in a good way. Help us to be different in a good way, not in a bad way, God. Lord, I pray everybody that's in that turmoil of trying to get desire to discipline to delight and trying to have a quiet time and feeling like they failed. Lord, thanks for trimming that wick. We just get a brand new beginning here today. No mistakes, no missed quiet times, no, no missed reading. You're, you got a fresh start. You're not behind in your reading. You don't have to go back and catch up. Just make it light and sweet, just like the manna. Let's just start tomorrow. Would you do that for us, Lord? You're so good. 
Jesus' name.